Avengers, assemble. In the wake of Endgame, some were lost, others regained. They're good. What happens next? Stay tuned, true believers, as we try to find out. Peter Melnick. Graphic designer, comic book enthusiast, and podcast pontificator. And I'm Eddie Wilson. Upstate New York radio announcer in the Sullivan Catskills with an inordinate amount of catching up in his own comic book universe. Ready? It's time for a new episode of The Marvelists. Hi, I'm Athena Singer, the granddaughter of Bill Singer, the co-creator of Batman and so many other comic characters. You're listening to The Marvelists with Peter Melnick and Eddie Wilson. Welcome, everyone, to The Marvelists, the Marvel Universe podcast. I'm Peter Melnick. And I'm Eddie Wilson. And before we get into the usual rigmarole of introducing our special guests yes. and talking about this episode, which is a part of our Marvel versus DC month, we're talking about the distinguished competition, people. We want to tell y'all at home how you can get a hold of us on social media. Do it. First off, go on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at The Marvelists. Give us a like ski, a follow ski, and all kinds of skis, you know, maybe... Ski slope, even. I don't know. But <laughs> go on those social media platforms and, yeah. Also, go on Twitter, Instagram, at Peter Melnick. Give myself a follow ski on there. Give myself a follow on Facebook or a like ski, whatever. At Peter Melnick Podcaster and yourself, sir. On Instagram at Eddie9193. You can listen to us on a wide variety of streaming platforms, including iTunes, where you can rate, review, subscribe, and share. We would appreciate that, especially Sunny. Ha <laughs> ha Sunny and share. Get it? Ooh. Anyway, <laughs> also, you can be able to listen to us on Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, Podbean, SoundCloud, Spotify, among many, many others. And when you sign up for Stitcher Premium, you get one free month, and like I said, only $4.99 a month. But when you're on there, you can be able to listen to a ton of audio content, including the Smodcast archives, the Earwolf archives, the Mark Marin WTF archives, the Weird Al Yankovic concert archives from his 2018 tour, as well as the main reason why you want to check this out, Wolverine the Long Night and its follow-up series, Wolverine the Lost Trail. And guess what, people? That show is a serialized audio program where it tells a story about the good old Knucklehead. And it's written by comic book writers. It's got a great audio voice cast. And you want to check it out. And so, you can for free for the first month. First month, yes, yes. One free month, only four ninety nine. after. Cancel at any time. But go to WolverinePodcast.com and use the promo code at checkout. Marvelists. So, cool. And there you go. Yeah. And... Happy awesome. listening. It was good. And now, <laughs> for something completely different. Oh, we're going to go with a Monty Python reference? Hey. That's you. There's the unnamed intro right there. Go ahead. We're going to give our introductions. First off, in studio right now is a friend of mine, Jared Kiesler. We used to do Inside the Batcave back in the day, which ended with a Y at the end of it. Hello, sir. Well, yeah. <laughs> wouldn't it? <laughs> well, which, depending on the day it was. And we're also <gasps> joined alongside someone else who is the granddaughter of a man who helped co-create one of the topics for today's episode, the Cape Crusader Batman, Athena Finger. How you doing today? I'm great. How about yourself? Pretty good. Thank you for joining us. We really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. And before we get into the main topic of talking about Batman versus Hulk, now you're probably wondering at home, oh, those two are completely different kind of characters. Well, well, they are completely different, but they also have some similarities. And when we get into that, we will. But we want to talk about Athena's grandfather, Bill Finger, a man who is 
now getting the credit he so justly deserves. And, yeah, he he's finally getting the credit in the DC comics. He's getting credit in the television shows, the movies. And it's something that is long, long overdue. Maybe we want to start with a bit of a backstory. So I guess, Athena, you can fill us all in as to how, you know, we get caught up to speed on this. Sure. Um, well, Bill and Bob actually knew each other um, through mutual friends. They went to the same high school, but they were a few years apart. And uh, Bob had already established, um, you know, a little studio out of his bedroom in his parents' apartment. And uh, approached my grandfather to uh, include him to be a writer for some of the older stories that he was doing, um, Rusty and his pals, and I believe a couple others. So... Um, you know, Bob saw the huge success of Superman in 1938, and so he wanted to know how much they were making and wanted a piece of that. So he said he could come up with another superhero for National Comics, which is now DC, um, and, you know, took a rough sketch of a man, blonde hair, um, wearing a red unitard with black panties and a tiny little domino mouse with big stiff wings. And he brought this to my grandfather and said, listen, um, you know, I'm dubbing this the, the Batman. And it was that hyphen man, not one word yet. Respect and, the hyphen. Uh, yep. Always you know, respect the hyphen. My grandfather, being very visual with his writing, said this is completely wrong. If you're going to name him a bat, then you need to make him dark, someone who's going to hide in the shadows. So he took the whole color scheme and changed it, made it into blacks and the blues and the grays, and said that the cat, you know, the, the little domino mouse wasn't working. Let's give him a cowl and let's put some ears on it so he looks a little more like a bat. And uh, let's make the, the eyes white. There's going to be no definition there to make it look even a little more mysterious and scary. And he said these big stiff wings are not working, um, so let's give him a cape. And let's uh, let's scale up, scallop it. So when he's jumping from you know high places, it's kind of opening up behind him and kind of looking like the wings of the bat. So he he really changed the whole look. Gave him a belt that had all that cool gadget stuff attached to it. Um, didn't want him to be a mutant or an alien or anything like that. And so he really wanted to write detective stories. So that's where the idea for Batman to be a detective and, and human and not have these, you know, other powers or alien or anything like that. So um, he took that and he wrote the first story and Bob took it into National and sold it and never told anyone about my grandfather. And uh, for 76 years, we were told that Bob Kane was the sole creator and writer and artist of the Batman. And then I pursued getting Bill credit, not that other people didn't over the years, but I was fortunate enough to be able to resolve the issue back in 2015, and now you see Bill's name attached to everything. Um, but he didn't just change the look of the character. I mean, he was the writer, so he came up with all the cool stories and came up with all the cool villains, and you know, he wrote the mm. two-page backstory of why Bruce Wayne became Batman, and you know, introduced all the villains and Robin. Robin came about because, you know, back in the 30s and the 40s, if you were talking to yourself all the time, you ended up in the loony bin. Mm -hmm. Not like all this inner dialogue that we accept now in our society. So 
So he found it extremely difficult to write for Batman when he was all alone. So the idea of getting this sidekick for him, Robin was conceived, and Jerry Robinson came up with the look, and there we go. Now we have Robin. We have Catwoman as the love interest. We have the great rogue of you know, villains. We have the Joker. We have the Riddler. We have the Penguin. We have Scarecrow. We have Two-Face. We have an endless list of people for Batman to get into trouble with. And most of that came from Bill. I was thinking of Egghead now from this series, but I don't know that that was actually in the comic book unless it was a different version. No. For who? Egghead. I believe that is this from the series. So. Yeah, and there were char- there were characters in the television series. I believe also Bookworm that was originated from the television series. Yeah, yeah. I just threw one out there and just randomly that who can who can I think of coming to mind? Cause you just rattled them all off and stuff. But uh, that is great to hear that that finally came to pass and happened. And it is news to myself, sheltered as I am with with some of this stuff or a lot of this stuff. I actually did do oh. a quick test with Eddie like right beforehand. I just said the name yeah. Bob Kane. I said who's Bob Kane, and he goes Batman's co-creator. And then I said Bill Finger. He's like, wait a minute. Huh? And I was like, no, you should know this. And like, it was one of those where I'm glad to know now that there are so many more people that are understanding who Bill is and the contributions. And I believe there is a Hulu documentary available about your grandfather. There is. Which is a very um, good movie, by Batman the way. Batman and Bill. And it's a Hulu exclusive. Um, mm-hmm. And it talks about Bill. And it, it really focuses on, on this researcher, Mark Tyler Nobleman. He spent a very long time researching for his book that he wrote, Bill the Boy Wonder, and um, it took him a good, I think, nine years to compile enough information and people um, that knew Bill or had stories about Bill um, to write this biography and then to move on and have the documentary done. But the documentary isn't just about him. It has the family in it. We talk about, well, I talk about the family struggle a little bit and how it was you know, this big, huge, you know, injustice was passed on from generation to generation and how, you know, I was able to get a great team of people, including my sister. My sister and I have different fathers, but she's a lawyer. And when she was in school, copyright was her forte. So she knew all the right people to get in touch with to help with this process to get Bill, you know, his proper credit and get his name attached to everything. So... You know, I, I had a, a great team of people. Mark's research was a big help with all of that. Um, plus all the historians we came, up, you know, in touch with. And, you know, social media, being what it is now, played a huge role in it also. Back in the 80s and the 90s, my father passed away in 92. So it fell upon me at the age of 15 to figure out what to do with this issue. We didn't have the social media that we have now. I didn't even know people knew who he was. I knew who he was, but I didn't know that other people knew who he was. So it wasn't until, you know, Mark started telling me and I started seeing that people actually knew who he was and what the true history was um, that I got more involved and wanted to figure out what we can do to get this, you know, this historical figure in our culture to have his story told correctly because it's been told incorrectly for so long. And I knew that the fans really wanted the true history to be out there and to be corrected. So, you know, with all of that momentum and the 75th anniversary in 2014 and just all this stuff coming together, we really were able 
to make sure that the history was corrected. I believe the television series Gotham was where they first ended up showing Bill's name in the credits. If I remember okay, correctly. that's partially correct. This is a good trivia question, so I don't know if you guys are going to know the answer, but at the time, Gotham was on on Monday night, and um, there was a little show on Comedy, uh, not Comedy Central, on Cartoon Network that was part of Adult Swim, it's still on, and it would come out at midnight on Sunday nights. You know what show I'm referring to? Robot Chicken? Yes. Yeah. So Seth Green is a huge Bill Finger fan. Oh, wow. And it just happened that that particular episode was his DC superhero episode, and he was actually the first one, which is also not true, because he did get credit in one of the episodes of the 60s TV series. But after he got credit, Seth Green was really the first one to give him TV That's good. I can respect that. So now, if I'm hearing right, Hulu has the show... And we're, you know, the word is getting out that way. Is there any or, or not effort, other people involved to get this, you know, out there so more of a reach, people will will know about Bill. Um. Well, I mean, the, there is the book that Mark wrote. Um, there are more publications that are becoming out. Um. Just we don't have dates for those yet. Um. You know, he's got a Google, you can Google him, he's got a wiki, he's got, there's a lot of information if you go to, like, who's who of DC, he's got, you know, a page there, like, he's out there, there's no not finding information about Bill and what his contributions were to Batman, but it's not just Batman, he was a huge contributor to the comic genre in general. I mean, it was he also came up with the original Green Lantern, Alan Scott. He also co-created Wildcat. Mm. He wrote the first Kryptonite story for Superman. He wrote for Justice League. He wrote for Timely, which is now Marvel. Mm. He worked for TV, radio. He wrote a couple movies, even. I mean, he worked anywhere and everywhere, including towards the end of his life when he was no longer writing comics. Uh, he wrote for the army, the instructional video. So he, you know, he really did what he could in the writing genre across the board. And it's always interesting because in comics, the comic artists are always the ones that don't get the credit. Like you see a Jack Kirby, a Wally Wood, Steve Ditko. Yeah. And it's interesting that it's the, you know it's flipped on its ear where. Bill was the writer, and he really, you know, for a long time did not get the credit. And it's just, it's a interesting kind of thing to see. Well, again, um, you know, Bob Kane came from a family that, you know, his dad was an attorney and understood the concept of contracts and, and things like that. And so he made sure that Bob Kane was protected with this title. And that he wanted to make sure that he got all the benefits of it. Um, you know, Bill was a work for hire with these other comic strips that they were working on. And I mean, it was an industry norm, but he could have shared the credit just like Eagle and Schuster shared the credit and had both of their names there. It's just that Bob Kane decided to not do that. And he decided to not do that up until his death. 
But, you know, he could have changed that at any time. And if you read his biography, That Man and Me, he even states it in that book that, you know, I wish I could go back and give you the credit. You know, you deserve it now. Well, he could have done that at any time, and he never did because he really just wanted it for himself. That seems just like a... It seems so... I'm, I'm not a fan of just hearing that line of, you deserve the credit now. No, he deserved the credit all along. Yeah. <laughs> he pretty much made the character in my eyes. I mean, I've been a diehard fan my entire life, and it, it's really nice to know what you've done, and the credit is now to the person who really deserves it. I mean, Bob Kane, of course, has helped, but in my mind, Bill Finger is the one who created Batman. Well, I mean, that's <laughs> the thing is that we can't take away what... Bob Kane's original concept was because yeah. without that original concept, True. Bill would have had nothing to change or write about. I, I so, like his design you know, better. <laughs> the um, one we got nowadays. There's a lot of people that hate Bob Kane and they want to, you know, be nasty yeah. with words towards him. But you know, Bob had a talent, and of his talent was to recognize other people's talent and put it together to make something incredible. So he was a great facilitator of imagination, creativity, you know, and bringing these people to, you know, make something that lasted for 80 years now. You know, when I end up seeing, like, people give, you know, they show the anger towards Stan Lee, that also is one of those, like, you have to realize it takes two to tango. And unless you're, like, you know, a creative powerhouse, like, like let's say a Walter Simonson who writes and draw or writes and draws creates characters that's fine you know but when you have like a person it does take two you know two to tango to repeat the phrase it does um and usually it takes even more than just two absolutely it usually takes a bunch of people creative team exactly yeah Yeah. that was why why, and it's good that you brought up superman and and his creators because i had heard over time and it's been done in more than one type of documentary how somebody like Neil Adams came to their rescue to help them from finishing out their lives and not being in complete poverty so that's why when I ask if it was just on Hulu can can it be done that it gets out the work gets out more because there's people like me who don't quite live under a rock but still don't realize you live in a nice the name house, of Bill Finger yeah <laughs> and what that and what that name means so I don't know if there's more needs to be more doesn't uh, that's where i'm well i mean there's tons of podcasts that talk about it there's been a lot of news media about it um especially once the credit had gone through um unfortunately as of right now i mean i'm not saying it's the only thing that you can get to um you know in the future there will be more you know things take time so um you know we want to get more information out there i I have a couple things that I'm trying to um, put together myself um, and trying to work with some other people to get more information out there, more books, more documentaries, more more of Bill out there so that, you know, people who don't have Hulu or don't know where to find information can, you know, find Bill's story. So um, it's, it's not an ending story. It's ongoing. <laughs> Good. No, that that's uh, that's very positive to hear that, and I'm I'm glad to hear that. So, so well, keep up the good work. The thing that I am going to be working on, um, I need the fans to really start pushing for Bill to get a star in Hollywood. 
Um, I did an application this past year. Unfortunately, he was not nominated. But as we know, Batman was and Bart Ward was, which is great. Um, but Bill needs to have a star, just like Bob Kane has a star. And I need the fans to really start going to the um, website and filling out the application to get Bill a star. It, it, that's the only way it's going to happen. It's going to be a big push. I heard that Adam West was rejected several times. Um, so it's just going to be persistent. And I think we all need to rally and start sending in those applications. Yeah, Ralph Garman, formerly of K-Rock and uh, of the Hollywood Babylon podcast on Smodcast, he was trying for a very long time to get Adam West his star, and he finally got it a few years ago. Right. Um, so I am starting this now. It's early enough. I know that they just announced who won like a month ago. So mm -hmm. I think that if we start getting people to put in applications and getting more people involved, I'm not going to say it's going to happen next year, but I think the more that we keep making it relevant for him to get a star, again, he didn't just write for comics. He wrote for TV, radio, movies. I mean, he did the whole gambit of, you know, what they give stars for. So <laughs> other than being an actor, you know, he, or a director, he, you know, he wrote for TV, radio, movies, and books. Now I do want to get to that, but I realize we're gonna like. I realize the conversation-wise, it does a complete like turnaround on it. But when you mentioned that he uh, you know done comic book work as well with different things, you mentioned timely. And since yeah. we are the Marvelous, I'm actually curious. Like, what titles did he work on? I, and I'm imagining since it's timely, this is the uh, 39 to I want to say early 50s. I believe so. I'm not exactly sure which titles he worked on. Um, to the Google, were... to the Google, to the wiki, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure if you go to Marvel's database, you can see which ones he wrote. I need to compile a list. I'm really bad about this stuff. I'm really sorry. I should have more information considering this is a Marvel show. <laughs> <laughs> You're fine. You're fine. No worries. Um, but, I mean, he did. He worked. I mean, there were other franchises out there that got gobbled up by Timely and DC. So I'm sure there were a few other obscure ones that he worked for also. Um, I believe it was um, similar to, like, The World's Finest, but it was for Marvel, Timely. I think it was some of those ones with, like, team-ups and things like that. Maybe, uh, I think, Young Allies and stuff like that. There's, Something like uh... that. There was one series, I believe, with like uh, Bucky as well, and I don't remember offhand. I have like a whole run on Comicsology right now. But Would I just... that have been what Bucky and, and maybe Toro? Yeah, and they had like title like I, again. I want to say it's like Young Allies and stuff like that because sounds a little familiar. Young. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. But just stuff like that, and it's so surreal to know that the co-creator of Batman was involved in the Mar like he had his hand in the Marvel universe as well. Like mm -hmm. again. Oh, yeah. Well, like like she said, he was all over the place. Movies, TV. And, yeah, you mentioned movies and TV. What kind yeah. of movies and television shows was yeah, he I'm involved with? Yeah, I'm very curious about that. Um, okay, well, he wrote the two-part episode for the Batman series, The Clock King. Um, he wrote for another show called The Sunset Strip 66. Um, there was another one that he wrote for, and unfortunately the name is slipping my mind right now. Um, he did screenplay two movies. The most famous mm. one is The Green Slime. 
Um, the other one is The Attack of the Moon Beast. Hmm. So those are his two big sci-fi movies that he wrote in the 60s. Interesting. I know um, I know with The Green Slime, that was actually the uh, pilot for Mystery Science Theater back in 1988, I believe, too. So, right, that episode was never aired. Correct. That, again, that, it's so surreal to know That's that really as well. Cool. And for all those times, coming into, like you said, the 80s there, yeah. um, without a clue, not knowing myself, but... Of course, I have to ask, since these two did not, what about his radio stuff? Because that's my forte. <laughs> I really should have asked that, too. I like radio dramas. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, was it going back that far? That's my question. Or was it writing copy for advertisers? Or actually, it was it was, it was was shows, radio plays, perhaps. I don't know. I, you know, unfortunately, I don't have much information about which radio shows he wrote for. Mm-hmm. But I know that he did write for some radios. Um, I believe it was kind of like the... Um, just the reels that they were doing for, like, the movies. Like, you would go and see a little film of, you know, Batman. I think they were doing certain, you know, because they had, like, little Abner and Annie and stuff like that. So um, would that decade-wise put that in the 50s or something? Or 40s, I think. Even, yeah? Uh, I think, honestly, I couldn't tell you. Okay. Oh, okay. Um. Well, what was his reaction to the work involved with seeing Batman make it to both, you know, the the serialized format as well as the television stuff in 66? Um, I mean, I know that he was, he had stopped writing for Batman um, in the 60s. He was kind of pushed off of writing for DC um, because he was getting older and he needed health insurance so they stopped giving him writing jobs so he probably i never met him unfortunately so i would think that it was kind of like a you know kind of painful to see where his character was going and him not really being able to be involved with it um it was his friend charles Sinclair who actually brought him in to do the clock king episode and they wrote that screenplay together so I think that was really the moment that he, you know, was honored in the public for his contributions. Um, I know that Charles was grac- gracious enough to give Bill his top billing on that um, for the credits also. So I think that was really the moment for him to, to get that sense of, you know, you know, this is something that I've really worked on and, you know, there, my name is attached to it finally. Even though it really wasn't, it was just, it wasn't in the capacity that it should have been. I know it was hard for him. He, he really, you know, didn't get the respect that he should have. Um, and, you know, that, that plays a big role in also him not pursuing himself to get the credit and, and you know money takes you know trump over that but yeah. i i think that you know he had come to terms with it a long time before then um i i don't know if it was something that was difficult for him to see or if it was something that he enjoyed yeah i think it is pretty understandable that there might be a little bit of happiness, but again, being upset about what had, what had happened and, and so on. 
Athena, I was going to try and shift it a little bit now to to yourself a bit, and um, other than the obvious character, any others that you have come to uh, you know like a lot, and and uh, your whole other involvement in this world that we call comics. Um, well, other characters that I like. Um, well, I really love Wolverine. He's one of my favorites. Um, in the Batman universe, my favorite is Catwoman. She's not a villain. She's not a hero. She's one of those people that knows to really how to play the system on both sides and work it to her advantage so that she can protect herself, um, which, you know, again, she was written as the love interest of Batman. So, you know, she definitely worked that in and, and totally used it to her advantage. Um, so, I mean, those are the ones that I really like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's always crazy to see the uh, relationship that Batman and Catwoman have had over the decades, and even to now, you know, as fairly recently as the Tom King run, where they were about to get, you know, married, and then it didn't right. happen. What do you of mean? I not. bought that issue. What are you talking well, about? Sorry for the spoilers, Eddie. What the? <laughs> Wait a minute. I'm behind. What happened? <laughs> oh, no. I like how I'm a year and a half behind, but some... Uh, <laughs> anyway. That's a drop in my bucket. Jeez. Uh, I have no internet where I live. I live in the woods. In the middle of nowhere. Oh. You live in a bat cave. I live in a bat I do. I live in a bat cave. You can only hope. <laughs> because I'm Batman. <laughs> now, in regards to the aspect of seeing people now embracing the work of Bill, what is it like seeing people celebrate his work and seeing him get that credit finally? Oh, it's amazing. Um, you know, I... I didn't grow up in the culture. I didn't even read comics growing up. So when I came into this crazy world, I did not know what to expect. Hmm. And when people started finding out that Bill had a granddaughter, they were finding me on Facebook and, you know, were eager to thank me or tell me their story or tell me, you know, how they relate to the character or just, you know, show their appreciation that I was fighting for Bill. And then once Bill got the credit, they just wanted to thank me for finally, you know, giving the fans the true history of this character that they have basically based their lives on. Um, And, you know, (laughs) that is amazing. Like, again, I wasn't part of this culture, so I really didn't understand the impact that this character had had on people. Without um, uh, without going too much into it, Athena, and on the other side of perhaps this coin, did you get anything negative come your way? Um, for the most part, no. Good. I mean, there are a few trolls Good. out there, of course. There always will be. Um, there are some people who are hardcore Bob Kane fans and feel that Bill doesn't deserve the credit or the recognition that he's received. Um, but, you know, people are going to believe what they want to believe. Um, you know, we we know the true history. It's been told to us. Bob Kane even used his own words saying that Bill has 50 to 75 percent, you know, to do with the character. So, I mean... It's out there. You can't dispute it. It's just people want to hold on to the, the lie of 76 years instead of facing the truth of what really happened. Isn't it wild? But, you know, the sad thing is, is that it's not just Bill. It was 
unfortunately and still is unfortunately an industry norm that people are not getting the true credit for their creations. Absolutely. Yes, it's changing, mm-hmm. but it still happens. And it's happened to many of those golden age writers and artists and creators that didn't get the credit that they deserve. But isn't it wild going over to the positives of all of this that somebody's idea, like them thinking, what if this guy dressed as a bat and did this? Isn't it wild to believe or to realize that that idea, someone's quick little thought, is the impetus of someone accomplishing things that they go, I really like the character Batman and it has such an impact on their life. Someone's idea has an impact on someone else's life. That's amazing to think about. It's wild. You know, the big thing where people would get in touch with me and tell me on how the character and the stories have helped them overcome trauma, not just like little trauma, like major trauma. And I'm like, holy cow, like, Batman. (laughs) Yeah, this character that my grandfather wrote about and helped create has, you know, helped people not just enjoy the stories and and live in this fantasy world, really helped them deal with some serious issues that, you know, it would be hard for anyone to overcome this stuff. And, you know, those really floored me when people were so open and to tell me their stories and just to, again, to be thankful that my grandfather did that for them. Uh, that's, it's huge. <laughs> At times I still kind of have a problem wrapping my mind around it because, I mean, it's not just one or two people. It's multiple generations of people that he has helped Yeah. without even knowing that he's helped these people. I know. I don't know where I would be today without Batman. Just, just saying that. He's always been a part of my life as, as long as I can remember. Helped me overcome a lot of things. Taught me how to read. <laughs> I remember one of the stories you had told me, Jared, was when you were a kid, one of like the very first toys you had was the 1989 Batman action the, figure. The first toy I ever had was a 1989 Batman action figure. And I still wow. have it to this day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And it's also really cool to realize that Batman is considered one of the most iconic visual characters. You know, one of the most iconic faces that you show it to somebody, they oh. will know instantaneously it's Batman. You don't have to like the comic. You don't have to like him at all. But you know exactly who he is. You know that yeah. symbol. Everyone knows that symbol. Especially in 1989. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It was a big year, absolutely. And like you're saying, Athena, not realizing until you get that feedback from whatever it means it, it is, you know, you think of this as being, uh, for lack of a better term, an escape of your everyday life, and you get immersed into this world, and it, you know, it goes from there, and it has grown exponentially, of course, and it's prevalent now, especially when you go to conventions and people are dressing up as these characters. Batman, very much a part of the norm. Guilty. And there you go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, and as long as people know where to draw the line... Peter, if it's just an escape story. or more, then, then yeah, you put it all in perspective. It is fascinating to see how many different renditions of the characters there are out there and how many different cosplayers really embrace the different era, mm-hmm. look, feel, message that not just Batman, but the other characters within the Batman universe um, 
how they really relate to these characters and how they've embraced the character wholeheartedly. And in regards to seeing the cosplay, what is the coolest cosplay you've seen someone do? And also like, wow, I did not think of ever seeing someone do a version of Batman like that before. Um, well, I mean, I've seen some impressive Batman for sure. Um, you know, there's a gentleman here in Florida who um, did a TV appearance with me, and he had a whole case, like, taller than me, filled with his bat suit, like, pristine, um, professional, like, it, it was just like, holy cow, like, you've taken this to the hunter's degree. Oh, yeah. And it's so impressive. But also, you know... In 2015, I did a panel in Fort Lauderdale with Wizard World, and at the end of the panel, this gentleman comes in, and he's dressed as the Bob Kane sketch with the red suit and the stiff wings and the little domino. (laughs) I love deep-cut cosplay like that. That is so cool. That's really cool. I've never seen that before. That's the first. I I was like, wow, that's, I mean... That's the original concept, so yes, it should be out there. That's that's you know amazing that you went through the the process of actually you know showing honor to the original sketch. And that was um, which also, if you did not see it, but in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles with Batman, the one that just came out, when you look in the Batcave and they have all the bat suits and the glass cases, one of them is the Bob Kane sketch. Oh that's wow, cool. I did not catch that. That's cool. Well, you're going to have to watch it again. So I will. <laughs> How long? Well, yeah, he's going to. It's I, I'm, uh, that's probably what I'm going to do as soon as I leave here. If not if not before that, the way it looks over here. Uh-huh. Again, Athena, how long ago was that that this uh, character showed up in the original? Uh, it was in 2015. And it hasn't uh, been not mass Not too long after Bill got his credit. And that, see, from there it should go into mass production now, that costume. Uh, I would wear that costume. Well, people would wear it though i would wear that costume well see we got one right here mm-hmm. <laughs> although i do find it curious or funny we actually have a uh, mutual friend in our group uh his he's a cosplayer by the name of matches malone and he's gone all out with his batman cosplay where oh it's... definitely he's always got his cowl on no matter what he does yes <laughs> have you ever heard the story about him going to the dark knight rises from uh screening the uh the opening night basically he i don't been... oh think so he was t- he was telling me this uh, years ago. He went to this uh, the opening showing, and some guy was like razzing him behind him. And then at one point, he grabbed Matches by the cowl and tried to pull it up. And Matches turns around, decks this guy in the face before the movie started. <laughs> and the you know the he the guy gets arrested, and the police question Matches, and well, you're Batman. We're we're gonna leave you alone. <laughs> and. It's all right, officers. I'm Batman. I, I just find the whole concept of it absolutely hilarious. The guy, this guy who messes with matches, goes to see a Batman movie, and it's a 2D movie, but for him it was 4D because he gets punched in the face. He got all of the experience. <laughs> so I, I would, I would be that guy. I think matches get punched it very no, seriously. No, I got punched by Batman. Uh, could you please say it again, Athena? I said that matches takes it very seriously. Oh, absolutely. And it, like I said, it is one of the most impressive Batman cosplays. Like I I believe he, even during that one he had on bulletproof armor, like genuine Kevlar. Jeez. 
Wow. So that's a, that's really impressive. If you can, definitely check him out on Instagram. I know he goes by the name of Matches Malone, which is the alter ego that Bruce Wayne I runs around as. I've hung out with him. He's such a nice guy. He's he the same thing. When I went to Boston Fan Expo last year, um, I was not a guest. I was just attending. Um, he was my he was my shadow. He was my dark knight. He walked around and made sure that I was, you know, safe walking around the con. Like he's he's an awesome person. He really well, wait is. a minute. What were you wearing then? I was wearing, I believe, a Felix the Cat T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And I, I'm actually a big fan of Match's uh, James Bond Batman mashup, which is literally him just wearing a tuxedo with a cowl. And I'm like, you know yeah, what? That's, that's simple and to the point. <laughs> it works. It works. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. Now, obviously, Athena, you're here to talk with us about our main topic of Batman versus the Hulk. And first off, what was your first experience ever with the Hulk? Oh, it was the TV show. Definitely. And in a lot of ways, like that was, yeah, many people's introduction to the character. And it's funny because television, like we had mentioned earlier, revitalized the personas of both Batman and the Incredible Hulk. In the 1970s, the Hulk was a good character, but not really that popular. But television was what revitalized that one. I didn't, again, read the comics, so it really was my only exposure to the character. And once that happened, the TV show, then, yeah, all bets are off, because that, I think, really uh, exploded the character. Into uh, you know into the into the mainstream the vernacular I think having watched it uh, from from the beginning and uh, what owning all five seasons now on DVD. Do you have the movies, Eddie? Ye- no, <gasps> I think I need to. Yeah, gasp. Okay. Gotta go. All right. Mm-hmm. Audible gasp. <laughs> <laughs> but in regards to the characters, obviously Batman and the Hulk are completely different characters, be it yet. They're both very angry. Yeah, that is definitely a huge comparison between the two. They are incredibly smart. Yes, and very much so. They're both named Bruce. See, I didn't even... Re- I just completely <laughs> forgot about that. I genuinely am like, oh, yeah, they are. That is a good comparison. They're both named Bruce. That's right. That is a very first and foremost similarity when I heard we were doing this. Well, what about Robert Bruce Banner? Well, oh. let's... Yeah, well, Bruce is in there, so... Yeah, it, it's still that it counts. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I could Hello? say that, that Bruce is so angry, Bruce Wayne, I, I, Batman. I don't think it's really anger that motivates him. I think that's just misleading. I would say it's sorrow. And yeah. both characters, in my opinion, that's something heavily for them. And you end up having the relationship of Batman and the loss of his parents. You have... The Trials and Tribulations of the Hulk. I've actually fairly recently read, I believe, the 1990s uh, run of the Hulk, 80s to 90s, by Peter David. And watching his saga go through of he became intelligent. He became Mr. Fix-It somehow. He ended up losing the love of his life, Betty Ross, and just so much sorrow. They both have their problems. They both suffered sorrows, and they both overcame them in in an immaculate way. Yeah. Well, that's an interesting word, immaculate. Okay, <laughs> they did. You know, they did come through those trials. And but you said Betty. Well, the first thing I thought was Hulk losing a love, and that was Jarella. Yes. Mm-hmm. Earlier on, you know. But yeah, interesting that 
that whole concept came to be of putting these two against each other and, and with each other. And we can draw, I think, a lot of both differences and similarities. So, I mean, Batman is a character that he will do things methodically. He doesn't rely on brute force. But for the Hulk, brute force is something that he's going to have to rely on because, yeah, you have puny Banner over there in the corner. But if he really wants to get something done, he's got to get those big green mitts dirty. And it's it's just a given. It's just what he does, Hulk smash. Yeah. That, that's his secret, Cap. He's always angry. I'm and, always angry. And he, and he punches. That was just my way to shoehorn in a reference to that Mark Ruffalo line. Hey, I know that guy. <laughs> we do <Yes>. too. <laughs> but the whole element of the Hulk being this mysterious figure in a lot of ways, much like Bruce Wayne. And you have you also have the duality of Batman and Bruce Wayne, and then you have Banner and Hulk. And again, that's... A, Both of them completely different characters. Yeah, and... Mm-hmm. Uh, what would you say, Athena, is the biggest comparison for the two characters? Well, I mean, yes, they're both highly intelligent, but they're very different types of intelligence. I mean, the Hulk is not solving crime. He's just beating people to a pulp. And causing <laughs> crime sometimes. Um, I think, you know, when you get to the core of Batman, he was not beating people to a pulp. He was trying to figure out what the actual crime was and who did the crime and how to bring justice to the situation, which is a completely different type of intelligence where, um, you know, he uses science as part of that. So I, I, I just, yes, they're both scientists, but I... I see more differences between the characters than similarities. Right. I what would agree with that. What would you say is the biggest difference, though? Obviously, other than size. Well, I mean, again, Bruce Wayne does not need to morph into the bat. He just puts a suit on. Right. It's like wearing a uniform, where the Hulk has to morph into the Hulk. He has to actually go through a physical transformation. So his appearance is different. He's a different color. His size is different. You know, everything is different when he goes from Banner to the Hulk. Batman puts on an outfit and he has become something that protects his identity. You know, the Hulk is very public. He'll change in, in front of everyone. He's not doing it in the shadows yeah. and changing into this other persona. He gets angry, he turn and he mutates, basically. Um, you know, there that's a huge difference. Again, Batman is not a mutant. He's not altered. He's just a man. That's it. Who has done everything to make himself strong in body and mind Hmm. so that he can outsmart the villain. Everyone always tries to tell me that Batman's not a superhero because he doesn't have superpowers, but his superpower is his mind. I mean, what would he do without it? He wouldn't be able to do anything without (laughs) it. Exactly. I love the fact of 
he always finds a way to outsmart anyone. Oh, yeah. And there was a panel recently in an issue, I believe, of Batman, or it might have been Justice League, or Superman, or Wonder Woman, because it involves the Trinity. And one of the shots is everyone is holding Wonder Woman's lasso. And you <laughs> know, know exactly which one I'm talking, talking it's about. Such, it's such a great <laughs> panel because, and Batman finds a way to outsmart everyone because he does something with this. Everyone's holding the lasso of truth, and characters are revealing their true identity. I'm Clark Kent. Yeah, you I'm see, Diana. Yeah, and then you just hear, I'm Batman. And the reason <laughs> he doesn't give away his identity is because he's covering up the lasso of truth by wearing the glove over it and preventing <laughs> everything. So it's like, yeah, you guys are thinking that way. I'm, I'm going to outsmart and, and this And that lasso. is the truth. He is Batman, so. And technically, yeah, he is because... <laughs> It evolved into that persona form. He became the bat. Well, there's a whole discussion of, on the fact that, you know, Batman is his real identity and that Bruce Wayne is his alter ego and that's not really who he is. That's, you know, that, and that's why he is able to do what he can as Batman because that's really who he is. That's really his personality. That's really who he wants to project in this world as far as, you know, seeing something that's wrong and making sure that it's right. I can't believe I'm going to make... Oh, go ahead. Well, where Bruce Wayne is not like that. He's a playboy. Mm. He's, you know, lighthearted. He doesn't take things very seriously. He... So, you know... That is his, you know, that's him pretending where Batman is really who he is to his core. I believe the good adaptation of that would be the animated, Batman animated series from the 90s. Cause you could you yeah. could really tell there, because when he's Batman, when he's not a, being Bruce Wayne, he's this dark, ominous, and serious guy. And when he's Bruce Wayne, like, like you said, he's bubbly and... Lighthearted. Yeah, like, oh, huh, huh. And w- during our episodes of Inside the Batcave, which I believe you can you can check out on, I think, Stitcher, maybe? Question mark? And the Mysterians. Stop should, that. We should bring <laughs> that, that back. Fa- that was I fast, that by the way. That was a fast reaction for the Mysterians. You're welcome. Anyway, the thing about it that we you know pointed out was how bubbly his personality yeah. is. Like, right when... I want to say it was the On Leather Wings episode. He's just like just how fast it was but I really can't believe I'm going to make this comparison but Billy Joel's The Stranger is the perfect song for a character like Batman because we all wear a face that we hide away forever Yeah, and that is what Bruce Wayne is he's Mm -hmm. a face that Batman has to wear so Billy Joel and John if you can in this part of the episode play some of The Stranger (laughs) (laughs) We, we have an audio engineer, John, who does a fantastic job, and I'm not just saying this because you're hearing this part, John, but he throws in music from time to time when we make music references. It's delightful. Oh, nice. Now, on top of that also, I would say, like I said, yeah, there are so many, there are more differences than comparisons, and the biggest one is also, Batman is for the most part a orderly kind of personality he doesn't leave a lot of destruction in his wake he does his damnedest to not Batman damnedest I just realized I made that reference wow but the (laughs) whole the whole element of 
you don't see a lot of chaos and carnage. It's unless like a character like a Bane comes around. Unless it's like the Joker. The Joker yeah. makes as much carnage as he possibly can. That is absolutely true. But Batman tries to, you know, shove that under the rug. Because, because he's a man. Batman is a man of the people. A Batman of the people, if you will. But <laughs> still. And he doesn't want to see this chaos and carnage. But Hulk smash. And he's always thinking uh, like 10 steps ahead of everyone else. Yeah. Like he knows well, how to take out the, the Justice League. <laughs> he knows the how to... Hulk more like a child. Yeah, he's and just doesn't know how to control. He's like, pretty much based on rage. Self-control. Sometimes with Hulk, though, depends on the day of the week. Because sometimes you have smart Hulk. Sometimes you have evil Hulk, where you can get cut into a million pieces, like an immortal. Right now, sometimes oh. you have Cardigan Hulk. Oh man! Oh well, he wears shirts now. <laughs> yeah, and glasses. <laughs> he did it look takes pretty. Selfies. He looked pretty great in that. He dab, did. Dab. <laughs> but yeah, and just that whole element of Hulk is just this character that. Yeah, for the most part, is a rage-filled monster. Or what? What was it they called him in? I think it was Avengers. In Avengers. Yeah. Uh, what Tony Stark called him yeah. in the first Avengers. Yeah. And he really likes when he turns into a uh, big green, big green rage monster. There we yeah, go. That sounds about right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I might have yeah. used that line before. And that's that's what he is. He's leaves chaos in the way. And when you know when uh, Athena, have you seen Avengers Endgame? Yes, I have. Just that one part where he now is self-aware. He's smart. He, he took the brains and the brawn, put them together. He goes in the time travel scene in 2012, and just that go-to scene of, oh no, this is what I was like. Yeah. And he, just like you see him like destroying cars, stepping on them, and he's like, oh man, this is embarrassing. I love when he put covered his face. Just, oh, I'm so <laughs> embarrassed. It's like looking at you know high school photos of yourself, and you're just like, right. Oh, I used to do. Oh, I'm so sorry, I everyone. I love it when they're like, okay, Hulk, go do that again. And he's, and he's trying to hit the cars. <laughs> so lackadaisical. <laughs> <laughs> just, yeah. Wait, was the Hulk in the room just now? Just trying to get into the character of it. Just it's so cool. Oh, there he is. He's over there. Uh, but it, it's just, that's what Hulk is. And again, the complete 180 of what Batman is. Oh, yeah. And in a lot of ways, you need that duality. You need that sense of the yin and the yang and... That's what these characters bring to the forefront of pop culture because you have the chaos, you have the carnage, then you have the cunning and calculatingness of Batman. Yep. I was going to just add that in discussing a little more of this, yes, you can kind of figure how there are varying degrees or levels, layers maybe, of Hulk. Like a parfait. Not to be confused with onions and, and Shrek. They have layers and ogres. But but differing aspects. What about parfaits? Everyone's like parfaits. If it to, if you're talking about the Hulk in whatever time frame time reference, yes, he's a child, like you said, Athena, perfectly well, mm-hmm. and then acquires Bruce Banner's intelligence, Mister Fix It, another person, a persona, uh, going gray with that, and all the way up to glasses, wearing shirts, time travel, that whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> That and, is and, and and yes, with Batman too, different iterations, going from the original to the uh, blue and shades of blue costume that we know, especially when we both, Jared and I, have a copy of the Marvel Treasury Edition size or reprint I don't of the, own it. Of womp, the womp. Batman versus Hulk from from back to 1981, and then him going to the Dark Knight and the all black and or gray 
the costume. 80, yeah. So yeah, eighty nine Batman, and you you have yep. all those different versions of the character in the sense of mm-hmm. I love I love how Adam West described it. You have the Bright Knight, you have the Dark Knight, but you have his version where it's the Bright Knight, and it's even like I said, the writing styles they just they change so much. But you have a I like it's. A Batman for every season, essentially. He went from a can't, yeah. can't be happy superhero to uh, to dark and ominous and dealing with everyday issues. Right. Well, as we all know, he started out dark, then he became lighthearted. Somehow, yeah. you know, fighting aliens for no reason in the 1950s. That was hey, a weird it happens. Time. Yeah. It happens. Wow. Although, although I'm, I am partial to the Rainbow Batman costume, and I love the whole story behind that. <laughs> if you, if you read the issue, it's it is such. There's a reason he wears it, and it's it shows the cunning and tacticalness of Batman. You I, do? Uh, yeah, I, I do. I'm jealous. <laughs> and I'm Eddie Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Eddie. <laughs> Good to see you again. Yeesh. Well, I love how they have, if you read some of the Golden Age ones, on how they have a Batman for every country. Yeah. Oh, wow. Batman, I think it's uh, international or something? Because I know Grant Morrison utilized that as well. Hmm. Yes. Well, and there's several different stories, but they, I believe there's one, if I remember, there's one where they all come together and have a huge meeting, and you get to see all the different variations of Batman from all the various different countries where they all share the same ideals as Batman from Gotham, and they, you know, are following his lead on how to make their society better. This uh, this is probably not a fair question to Athena, so I apologize in advance. But and I probably wouldn't like to be asked this either. Do you have a particular favorite visual interpretation or, or of of Batman and or what maybe in his long career that was a a, a, a highlight, a shining moment? That uh, you were happy to see that he was that he did. Huh. Yeah, that's what I thought. So many. <laughs> that's a hard one. That's what I thought. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love the classic image, you know, the original of him just standing there with his arms folded and he's kind of just looking down and he's got that very straight posture and he's got the cape just hanging down off of him. That can be do you know the image that I'm talking about? Well, it sounds like it's kind of he's folded it uh, over himself, or he's he's kind of hiding. You only see him from the cape and maybe the the white pupilless eyes. No, no, he's standing. You see the or full st- figure, but he's got yeah. his arms folded in front of him. It's okay. kind of he's it's it's golden age, I'm, like one of the first few images I, of Batman, and he's just standing there, and it's just so. I think I've seen it on the cover. Let, that he's even just standing there, you can feel the power coming off of him, and and you know the intense emotion coming off of him on how he just is gonna you know drop some justice somewhere. It <laughs> <laughs> actually kind of sounds like the first issue, Detective Comics number twenty-seven. No, he's jumping uh, from the ceiling. Oh, yeah, that that's one. right. I'm not exactly well, sure. Maybe it's one the inside cover. I remember seeing him sit there. Oh. Mm. Jared moved away from the microphone for a moment. My bad. Bad, bad boy. I got excited. (laughs) (laughs) But he really did. He actually just got very animated and he pretended to punch someone. Like, I was, wow. Yeah. But when Mm -hmm. 
it's an interesting thing too because Batman has all these iconic poses. You have the Neil Adams one where he's running, and Neil does this pose a lot, I've noticed, but it's because it works. It's just, it works. The one shot where he's running and he's put his hand forward. He's got you, a batarang in the hand, usually. You have the one shot from the Bruce Tim Paul Dini series where he's on the roof, and it's similar to, like what you just said, Athena, the standing with his arms folded and everything. That, right. if I'm correct, that is on the cover of Batman Chronicles Volume 1, the uh, reprints. I think that's where I keep seeing it, because I have those books downstairs. So. And they're so good. But, I mean, it's just a, yes, such a powerful oh. image. There's nothing else there. It's just him. And it's just something that gets me thinking, too. Again, a the differences between the characters. You can't really think of one specific Hulk pose. The closest thing I can maybe think of is... Hulk with his back turned. You see his big beefy back, and he's like, "I'm Hulk." Smash. Well, that's one, but that's not. I don't think too too common that you yeah. see the most. You you have a frontal maybe lunging coming towards you, two feet planted firmly on the ground, and the fists are just up, ready to pummel with and, two yeah. feet and on the ground. Yeah, that's the one that usually comes to mind for me, or he's already smashed something. His fists are down, or. Mm. But he's in that crouching position where he's either about or he already has. You could also have one hand fist. extended forward so it's almost t- towards you in your face. In fact, when they did the one, the less critically acclaimed Ang Lee movie has, uh, I believe, a Hulk reaching out with the big green fingers almost coming right through the poster at you. He just wants to give uh, a high five. Right. Yeah. A Hulk five. A Hulk mm. five. Like that. Ah, yeah. good enough. That Hulk star. <laughs> But it's just one of those curious things where you see this version of the character and there's not that many poses of Hulk. Like, you, it's the one iconic pose. But somehow Batman has like 17 and a half. It's just absolutely crazy, but in a good way. Yeah, no, I don't think there's... Uh, the only one that would be kind of odd, of course, would be the Batman 66 one that they even made a uh, Hallmark ornament out of. The, the Batusi? The, the Batusi, yes. Yep, yep. I have that ornament. Well, that's so fun, but again, you got to think of what was going on in the culture at that time. That's a, the reason why that show was that way is because oh, yeah. of other things that were going on on TV. I mean, we had shows like Laughing with all the yeah. flower power and stuff, so it fit right in with what was going on during that time yeah. in TV media. And that's another interesting thing about the Batman character. He always changes with the times. Because you have, you know, the Frank Miller era where it's dark and gritty. And that was when crime was rampant in New York City in the 1980s. You have a very dark time. And, again, he reflects the time that we're living in. And I would say, you know, you look at the 1950s, like, end of the golden era, early Silver Age stuff. It's very uh, nuclear family. Nuclear. I don't want to say nuclear because I'll... <laughs> that, that my, boy, my face would be red, but or green with radiation. I'm gonna stop uh, the joke. Uh, <laughs> too much, too much. You don't need to laugh at that one, believe me. <laughs> but you have that whole time frame of like the nuclear family. There we go, and it's very happy-go-lucky, and not maybe not so much happy-go-lucky, but very golly gee whiz. It's like that kind of feel to it. Yes, yeah, very Andy Griffith. Yes. Or like a Leave it to Beaver, the Cleaver family kind of thing. In yep. the 50s, we had nothing to be too uh, upset about. Right. We, we just won World War Two, right? Mm. Basically. Also, we were going into the Korean War, but I mean, yeah. again, um, the, the culture in the 50s was very male-dominant, 
very prosperous. Mm. Everybody was doing really well. Everybody had a house. Everybody was getting a TV. Everyone had a car. People have good jobs. Like, the culture then was completely okay, quote-unquote. Right. You know? Um, I mean, although that's not really reality, but that is of the norm for that time. So, again, it reflected a lot of that on TV. So now I think it's about time we wrap this episode up. But before we go, Athena, first off, big thank you for appearing on the show today and talking with us about the Bat and the Hulk. Thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. We want to tell the folks at home how they can get a hold of you on social media. You on Twitter, Instagram? I have Facebook, Twitter. I have an Instagram. Um, Just put my name in. I now have a website. Just put my name in, Athena Finger, and you will see it come up on all of those platforms. Very cool. Now, Jared, before we go, how can people get a hold of you on social media? You can usually find me on Facebook, at Jared Kiesler. And I have a Twitter. I haven't used it in a while. That was, uh, you made it for Inside the Batcave. Yes. You tweeted once, and then it was abandoned. <laughs> yeah, pretty pretty much. I don't even remember how to get onto it, to tell you the truth. See, my all my, form, all my co-hosts just <laughs> get a Twitter <laughs> and then abandon it. What, what can I say? I told you, I, I live in the middle of the woods. In, in, the, ba- in the Batcave. In, in, in the Batcave. There we go. Yes. Twitter, tweet, it also means fly away. So, so the so best way to find me would just be, you know, put up a bat symbol, I guess. Well, that'll that'll bring Jared running. I'm back. assuming. I'm yes, assuming also the bat signal. Well, it might be conflicting because Athena will run as well because it's oh, that's the bat true. signal. Yes. So. <laughs> Actually, a lot of people might run because they want to meet Batman. So everyone's running to the bat signal. <laughs> I didn't realize Athena. You, the bat signal goes and Athena runs. I didn't know that. For the marvelous, I'm Peter Melnick. I'm Jared Kiesler. I'm Athena Finger. And I'm Eddie Wilson. Excelsior. <laughs>